Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. All right, we are back. This is uh, Christopher Harris and Kartik Krishnaya on the World Soccer Talk podcast. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we've done some interviews. So, uh, Kartik, you had the pleasure of interviewing Jonathan Wilson from The Guardian about his launch of a uh, a brand new soccer, well, relatively new uh, soccer newsletter for the U.S. market. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed uh, or recently interviewed uh, Sean Harvey, the uh, Wrexham director of football, about their plans, uh, Wrexham's plans for uh, broadcasting. And before that, I think was the the podcast we were talking about uh, maybe US Open Cup and kind of just the, the whole PR disaster there. Well, this week we're talking about another PR disaster on, on a different level, which is uh, in Hong Kong. And Kartik also, we're going to talk about um, the awarding of the World Cup final hosting rights to uh, New Jersey and uh, FIFA's big announcement. So let's start off with FIFA's big announcement. Uh, what what are your initial thoughts about um, New Jersey, but also kind of just basically the presentation and, and, and the, uh, the, uh, the actual news about who's, who's getting which games? Well, the presentation itself was kind of clunky and um, uh, Infantino, as uh, often he does, uh, manages to offend uh, in his uh, comments, uh, <laughs> you know, regardless of what he does. So um, I, I've gotten to the point with FIFA where I just kind of expect controversy and, uh, and something uh, not so pleasant to come out of these, uh, these announcements. Now, in terms of the actual hosting of cities, I'm very disappointed personally, and I realize many of our listeners, if not most of our listeners, will disagree with this. But um, I, I'm not happy with the decision to put the final in New Jersey. Uh, in American sports, or even American uh, hosting of international sporting events, Formula One, major golf tournaments, uh, tennis being the exception, tennis. Um, U.S. Open is in in New York, right? Is in Flushing. There are generally um, these events are not in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area because of uh, various reasons. It's 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 in a uh, isolated part. Well, not isolated part of the country, but it's in a corner of the country. Uh, it's not centrally located. It's culturally very different than the rest of the country. It's difficult to get to for a lot of people. And I think in Dallas and Atlanta, you had two potential final host cities, although I, I realize Atlanta wasn't that seriously considered. Um, that would have been my preference. I would have wanted Atlanta to host a final. But I think in Dallas and Atlanta, you have two uh, potential host cities with 
massive airports. So you have um, uh, access from all over the place to those places. In fact, I mean, just this last week and flight from Brisbane to Dallas nonstop was announced. There's no flight from Australia to New York. And um, that is where soccer culture has really grown in this country. Texas, I think, is kind of the heart of uh, soccer culture, underground tournament, adult amateur soccer, um, maybe not as quite as strong in the women's game, but then you have a lot of professional clubs in, in Texas. There's just a synergy in that state. And then I think in, in Georgia and Atlanta, you have um, the, the place where African-Americans have embraced uh, soccer the most. You have the place where we've seen the greatest growth in the game, the Southeast in, the gen in general, over the course of the last 10 years. Um, and you see um, the, the energy behind MLS and even lower division teams in the Southeast and MLS specifically in Atlanta that you don't see in New York. Uh, and you quite frankly don't see in Dallas either, in fairness. So uh, I don't like the choice. And I also think that if this World Cup is going to be a stimulant, it's going to stimulate growth in the game, not just be something that happens one summer and then goes away and there's no legacy project attached with it. I think having the final in a place like Dallas or um, Atlanta or even, you know, maybe uh, an, a, another place that isn't New York, uh, Washington, well, Washington's not hosting games, New York, Boston or Los Angeles uh, would have been good. But uh, they chose not to do that. And um, I'm concerned that FIFA doesn't really get the legacy piece of this for growing the American game uh, beyond this World Cup. Uh, that having been said, uh, I'll just finish on this. Atlanta and Dallas are the two semifinal hosts. So I, I, you know, in spite of everything I've just said, maybe they do kind of get it uh, because otherwise the semifinals would be in L.A. and Miami or Miami or, or L.A. and Boston. But maybe they do get some of this. What some of our listeners may not realize is that actually this is a surprise decision. A lot of people, uh, the British press and, and other places, had tipped uh, well, Arlington, Texas, I was going to say Dallas, but Arlington, Texas, uh, you mean AT&T Stadium, uh, as the favorite to go ahead and host the World Cup final. So the, the decision to go to New Jersey, East Rutherford, close to New York City, uh, is a surprise for a lot of people because it seemed that uh, New York, New Jersey, I mean, a stadium in that region um, was the second favorite. Um, SoFi Stadium was an early favorite, but, uh, you know, I mean, there's def there were definitely issues with the, the Cronkies, Cronkies' ownership of this. Oftentimes, what we talk about on this podcast, Kartik, you and I talk about the power of television, the power of streaming, and, and how much of an influence that has. I think personally, this was a major factor in awarding it to New Jersey for the final. And um, you look at the U.S. landscape, right? You've got on the West Coast, the U.S. men's national team are playing uh, all of their games in the group stage on the West Coast. So those games might be kicking off at maybe, say, 7 p.m. local time in either Seattle or Los Angeles. Well, for prime time, well, for, for Europe, that's after midnight. Those games will be played probably, I mean, midnight or, or two, three, four, five in the morning, their time. Obviously, I mean, in Europe, the U.S. men's national team is not a uh, kind of a, a ratings bonanza. So I, th I think the reason that they picked uh, New York more so was thinking like, okay, well, if we have the final, maybe it's, at, say, well, actually, usually the finals are earlier. But even some of those games, I mean, this happened at 5 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. 
which is, you know, I mean, 10 o'clock uh, UK time or 11 o'clock Central European time. That's not so bad. And I think, I think Dallas uh, being in a different time zone kind of uh, makes it more difficult unless you're going to have those games earlier in the day in, in the afternoon, which doesn't feel doesn't feel right, right, for, for a World Cup. Usually a lot of the games, you know, the big games towards the end of the day are um, at nighttime. So I, I think that's, to me, the major factor, the major reason that they, they selected New Jersey uh, as the host for the final and not so much about the growth of soccer in the United States. I think it's all about TV revenue, which, which comes to it too, as far as advertising, right? As far as kind of like, how can we having a game uh, in New Jersey uh, get as much advertising sponsorship as possible, have that game prime time or later in the evening, uh, UK time and Central European time. Any other surprises, Kartik, from any of the other games? You mean you, you mentioned Atlanta. Atlanta. The only issue I have with with Atlanta is is the field condition. You mean it's turf. Yeah, they could put, yeah. they could, they could put down grass. Um, but that stadium on television, it's it, it looks and feels like an indoor indoor soccer stadium or indoor sports stadium. It does not look good on television, even even when it has grass in there. Um, MetLife Stadium will look like any other World Cup final. It, it'll it'll be fitting for the occasion, even if the AT and T Stadium, in my opinion, is actually a better stadium for uh, for the final. But well, any other surprises? Well, I guess yeah. If you're talking about television, which really wasn't my point of view, uh, perspective. Maybe it would be when the World Cup is in Abu Dhabi or Morocco or someplace. But uh, being in the States, it really, I didn't even think about the television angle. That That's fair, what you just said, because Atlanta optically does not look good. <laughs> I'll be the first to admit that. Um, I, in fact, I honestly, when I used to watch college football, uh, which I haven't watched uh, closely in many years, but when I used to watch college football, I used to hate games that were in Atlanta because the previous the Georgia Dome optically didn't look good, even for American football. Um, so I get that. Yeah, I don't think there are really any other surprises. I, I mean, I thought the other takeaway, you already mentioned it, was that uh, the U.S. is being left on the West Coast. Um, I, do, uh, I do think that um, that's smart uh, from a television standpoint, given the start times. Um, and because uh, the other the other potential was that you would have the U.S. kicking off at times where it would be very difficult uh, to watch them um, in, uh, in terms of daytime uh, television. And this is something FIFA has gotten good at. I have to give them credit for this. During the Women's World Cup, uh, the U.S. messed it up, right, by, uh, by, the, by uh, finishing second in their group and then playing in the middle of the morning uh, mm -hmm. U.S. time uh, in the knockout stages. But the U.S. games and the England games in particular were arranged by FIFA in the Women's World Cup to correspond with the best TV viewing times in those countries. England held up their end of the bargain, right, all the way to the final, where the final was at the perfect time. I think you were in the U.K., right, for the Women's World Cup final? That's right. Uh, yeah, it was it was arranged at the perfect viewing time for uh, the English audience, even if it wasn't necessarily the, the 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 optimum viewing time for the host country, for the people in the host country. So um, they've gotten good at this. So I have to give them credit, and they're showing it again with uh, with, with with this announcement um, uh, for the 2026 World Cup. And and I think uh, what we have this summer coming up with with Copa America is very much a dry run for how things logistically infrastructure wise will go with the um 
with the World Cup. I know uh, people are saying that about the World Club Cup also, but I'm not sure that that's um, uh, the kind of competition that's going to attract um, attract the same level of interest. Maybe it will mm-hmm. be. Uh, but I, I think uh, we'll have a better sense of how this is all going to go with the distances involved and the times involved based on Copa uh, this summer, which is only a couple of months away. Yeah, so for the 2026 World Cup, now now that we know those 16 host cities and how many games they're getting and which games they're getting in round of 32, which is a, a new part of the tournament we've never had before, um, record number of teams, 48 uh, participating. What about the Women's World Cup? I mean, so the lessons learned from the 2026 World Cup in terms of, you mean, giving the final to New Jersey for the Women's World Cup, you mean, do you think it would be more the same or, or, or do, you, do you think that it should be different, uh, a different way of, of organizing it? I think it might be similar, except that um, obviously it's 32 teams versus 48 teams. Although, I mean, the thing that we saw with the 32 team Women's World Cup this past summer is that it was more competitive than the 2014 World Cup, which I didn't expect. Um there are people who make that argument, too, about the Euros, right? When they went from 16 to 24, it got more competitive. I'm not sure I agree with that on the on the Euros, men's Euros. But on the Women's World Cup, it did. But there's still less games, right, than this 48-team World Cup, um, which, due to pressure, had to be arranged in a way that you had um, uh, groups of four, right? Because um, there was significant talk that there would be groups of three. So... Um, I think that that's the only difference, but I think it'll be arranged similarly. Uh, Canada won't be part of it, right? It'll be the U.S. and Mexico, assuming that's the winning bid. And I think uh, what you'll see is probably because there would be an expectation that the United States could get to the final, unlike on the men's side, that you'll have a final on the West Coast. Um, I would guess either Los Angeles or or San Francisco um, for that. Yeah, or maybe Las Vegas or something. Or maybe uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exciting thing. I mean, it's 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 still two years away for the um, the twenty six World Cup, and then obviously three years away for the uh, the Women's World Cup. Hopefully, that'll be hosted too in the U.S. and Mexico. Um, but in soccer terms, it's so close. I, I think I posted or tweeted maybe about six months ago saying, "Hey, the World Cup's around the corner." And I think a lot of the NFL journalists were like laughing at me and saying like, hey, it's not until 2026. But in soccer terms, it, it does feel that we're uh, inching, inching closer to, to that big date. Although I have to say internally uh, in uh, soccer management and, and, and business circles that, that I travel in, um, there is a lot of talk. Hey, let's just get through the Copa America. Let's mm-hmm. let's focus on that. That's going to tell us a lot. That is a big deal in terms of hosting etc. and optics. So um, yeah, I think once we get through, uh, again, I know the Club World Cup's happening. I don't think that that's as big a deal. I think once we get to that Copa America final, uh, that two years is going to seem like it's tomorrow, right? I I think that that's, so um, when I talk to people about the 26 World Cup, even this this announcement, the the past week I said, "Eh, you know, they're, they're doing the announcement. Hey, let's get through this summer first. And maybe it's also a matter of geography. I'm in, I'm in Florida. The Copa America final is here. Uh, it's not mm. in New Jersey or, or, or in Dallas, any of the places we talked about. So, um, yeah, I, I feel very much, though, even soccer professionals from outside the area, uh, want they want to get through Copa first and then focus on this World Cup. Yeah, the Club World Cup, I think, is going to be one of those tournaments, 2025. It'll be one of those tournaments where select games will be a big deal. 
but there's probably going to be a bunch of those games where there's relatively little interest or it'll be you mean you know i don't know basically not 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 a gangbuster kind of massive game it's going to be something that's going to be kind of like eh, okay that game, that game's on is that something we're really excited about is that going to bring the attendances in is that going to be a must watch in soccer terms because historically speaking you mean unless you're from south america the club world cup doesn't mean as much or unless your team seattle sounders or whoever it may be qualifies for most people around the world they still don't pay a lot of attention to it. So 2025 will, will be a, a big test. Uh, maybe if Inter-Miami makes it, I mean, that, that could be a big game if they play one of the South American countries, I mean, I don't know, uh, Palmeiras so or whoever it may be. Speaking of, of Inter-Miami, Kartik, I'm not sure if you've been following this that closely. I know you've been really busy uh, focusing, of course, on, on uh, lower league soccer and all of the different uh, changes and happenings with new clubs being formed and, and league struggles and all sorts of different things ha- happening uh, over at uh, Beyond the 90. At the end of the day, it's really been pretty much a, a PR disaster. Uh, it started out okay. They got a, a nil-nil uh, draw in El Salvador, uh, then went to Dallas, where I think the expectations were that at least uh, most of the stadium would be sold out. Uh, unfortunately, um, Miami lost that game 1-0, but uh, lots of empty seats there, even Tim Howard expressing um, kind of uh, his opinion about uh, the disappointment of all those empty seats. Then Inter Miami moves on to play two friendlies uh, in Saudi Arabia, embarking on this 24,000 mile uh, world season tour from El Salvador to Dallas to Saudi Arabia, uh, and then on to uh, Hong Kong, and then on to Japan, uh, and then back to Fort Lauderdale. But the games in uh, Saudi Arabia really were a little bit of an embarrassment on the field, uh, not so much of a PR disaster off the field, but on the field uh, in the games against Al-Hilal and Al-Nasser, Inter-Miami really, really looked inferior. Uh, you've got uh, Inter-Miami, arguably one of the best teams in Major League Soccer, uh, with, based on star power, um, losing quite considerably to both Al-Hilal and Al-Nasser. The game in Al-Nasser against Al-Nasser was supposed to be the Cristiano Ronaldo-Messi uh, game that was going to be the last dance, the last time they would play against each other, uh, a big high-profile game that was going to bring in just huge numbers of subscribers to MLS Season Pass for Apple. Um, Ronaldo didn't play because of an injury. Messi didn't play uh, for the majority of the game and came on in the last 10 minutes. But in that game, Inter-Miami lost 6-0. In the game against Al-Hilal, Inter-Miami lost 4-3. But in both of those games, uh, Inter-Miami certainly looked the inferior of the teams. Then they move on to Hong Kong. 40,000 fans uh, sold out stadium. Fans paying hundreds of dollars to watch uh, Messi. All of the advertising, everything going into promoting this game, uh, even from Apple TV and from Major League Soccer, uh, showcasing uh, Messi in all, in all of the ads, promoting this game. And then this game oh, uh, against a Hong Kong team, Inter-Miami gets the first win of the season in preseason. However, uh, Messi didn't play at all. And at the end of the game, the chorus of boos that echoed out of that stadium, uh, it turned sour. David Beckham came out to talk to the crowds, 
he was uh, met with uh, just a crescendo of, of booze also. A really bad PR look there for Major League Soccer and for Inter Miami and for Messi. And uh, Inter Miami now dealing with a lot of uh, bad press. Uh, the Hong Kong Sports uh, Authority talking about how they potentially are going to withdraw the money that was going to be uh, paid out for for this game. So, on um, yeah, it, there's no there's no other way of looking at this. It's, it has been a PR disaster for Inter Miami. Yeah, I, I don't put much stock into it. I mean, personally, we've had lots of friendlies here in the United States with European clubs where people have bought tickets to see certain players and they haven't played. Uh, in fact, you and I were at one of those, right? Uh, Real Madrid, the Al Clasico, where Cristiano yep. Ronaldo didn't play. And the organizers, who were the Miami Dolphins or, or relevant sports, you know, put out these implications that he would play until um, day of, right? And he didn't play. And I, I think that maybe it's different in some places, but in the United States, um, the audience has gotten very savvy to European clubs touring and European club friendlies. And um, I guess if you're a fan of a club, uh, which a lot of fans of Arsenal and Liverpool tend to be, those two clubs in particular have like fanatical club fan bases that it doesn't matter who plays, right? Mo Salah doesn't play or, or Bakaya Saka doesn't play. That doesn't matter. It's not going to affect their, their, their experience. But I think when you have um, things built around players, which Major League Soccer, unfortunately, has done, right? Because they have not built the brand the individual brand of their clubs outside of Seattle and Portland, who've done it themselves, right? MLS didn't do it for them, right? Those, those, that legacy goes back to uh, NASL days. Um, you're going to run into these problems. So let's remember David Beckham's experience um, with um, the LA Galaxy. The LA Galaxy played a number of friendlies. Uh, our friend Alexi Wallace was the president of the Galaxy at the time, so he arranged um, some of these friendlies. A game in, in Edmonton, I remember that they played. A game in Minnesota. Minnesota at the time was a USL team. They were not a uh, 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 an MLS team. Uh, so uh, played Minnesota there. Played a couple other friendlies. They created some, created the Pan Pacific. Do you remember this? The Pan Pacific Championship? So mm -hmm. that the Galaxy would get games in Australia and games in Hawaii against Korean teams and Japanese teams. And they fared quite poorly against the J-League teams, right? Similar to... Um, the Saudi league now, right. Um, didn't fare badly against the Korean teams or the Australian teams. I think MLS genuinely, um, was probably a better league than those two leagues. Uh, and I, I still don't think it's necessarily a better league than the J league, but, um, it's there. It's in the conversation with the J league. So they've been through this before, right. And soccer United marketing has done this. And I think they got burnt by that to a certain extent, right. Um, there were always issues with how, men, how much Beckham would play, whether Beckham was fit, uh, and he was younger than Messi. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it'll blow over. Optically, it's bad for a few days, but I do think that this is something that happens regularly. And eventually, wherever these friendlies are, the audience becomes more sophisticated. And I think here in the States, uh, people now are sophisticated, or people who get tickets for European uh, friendlies are sophisticated enough to know, hey, Robert Lewandowski, who I want to see, may not play, or or uh, Kevin De Bruyne may not play. Uh, that's not necessarily the case with MLS fans, right? Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of anger. Uh, let's just prepare for this, Chris. A lot of anger when Messi doesn't play in a, in, in a number of Inter-Miami road games going forward this season when they've been moved to bigger stadiums and people have been charged a ticket premium. So um, actually, this issue I don't think is that serious with the friendlies. I do think it might be a harbinger of things to come, which will be serious if uh, Messi goes to 
when they the game at Arrowhead, right? That they moved yep. to Arrowhead. If he doesn't play in that game, I, I think there could be a significant backlash against MLS. So that this is to me, this is not a big deal, but it's a warning shot. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think the difference with this one, though, Kartik, is that the, the component of MLS season pass so, for example, in the advertising to promote, uh, I mean, all of the games that Messi's been playing in for Inter Miami uh, in this preseason tour, every game has been televised uh, except one, which we'll get to in, the, in a little bit. But in the ads, so you go to the landing page on Apple Apple's uh, Apple TV to subscribe, and instead of saying like, "Hey, you mean uh, watch Inter Miami play against uh, Al Nasser or Hong Kong or Al Hilal, etc." I'll read for you what it says. It says, see Leo's world tour in every 2024 match. Messi's friendlies plus the entire MLS season, uh, season, including League's Cup. So it doesn't even mention the words into Miami. And, and on, the, on the page on Apple's website, it's a picture of Leo Messi I mean, wearing, of course, the Inter Miami shirt. There's no mention of Inter Miami on there. So, so part of it is, I mean, from the Hong Kong perspective, they're upset, right? They paid hundreds of dollars um, in all the advertising and all the promotion, uh, and also from Apple, also from H Soccer, all the images. It's messy, messy, messy. So the expectation is going into this game, and there was no announcement before the game saying like, "Hey, he's he's not going to play." The build up to this is that, yeah, he, he should play at least. I mean, Come on the field for ten minutes. I mean, towards the end of the game, I think the fans would have been okay with that, but not to even come on for basically for a second. But the other part of this is with the MLS season pass is that one of the reasons that uh, Inter Miami is on this preseason tour is not only to build the brand of Inter Miami, but it's also to sell subscriptions to MLS season pass. So every single game's been available. You know, some of the early uh, friendlies, I think, against El Salvador. And against uh, Dallas, those were on uh, MLSsoccer.com. But the other games, the games in Saudi Arabia, were available exclusively on MLS Season Pass, and so was the Hong Kong game. So what you have is kind of a 
also an expectation from from the actual public worldwide. Hey, should I subscribe to uh, MLS Season Pass for a month or for a season? Because it, on the page it's saying like, hey, Messi's friendlies, see Le- see Leo's World Tour, and if I'm subscribing and he's not playing. You know, I mean, again, so a lot of it is managing expectations. I, I think MLS is coming at this at a, a completely wrong angle. Apple too, as far as pushing Messi, 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 and just leaving. I mean, I think most MLS fans are sick of hearing about Messi anyway, <laughs> especially those other teams. But at least try to promote into Miami. It's more than one player. It's more. So, so there's a lot of issues happening here too, and and I think it could really backfire on MLS this season. Yeah, and, and just to that point, I mean, this morning I wrote an article about uh, some developments in MLS Next Pro, and the graphic that I used is a graphic that MLS Next Pro often uses, which has an image of Alfonso Davies on it, right? Who never played in that league, but MLS is so into hitching their wagon to star names now, which is again a shift, right? They shift back and forth between all of these different. Um, uh, different modes, you know, at some t- one point it's building like the profile of, of uh, young South American players they bring into the league. I actually thought that was a good strategy, uh, by the way. Uh, and we've seen some of them like Miguel Almoron move on and, and do some great things when they moved on to Europe. But they keep shifting. And so this this graphic has Davies on it because he's the most prominent player, I guess, um, in Europe currently to have played in MLS, but he doesn't play in the league. I mean, it's just that, but this is the way they approach things, right? They're just trying to, um, you know, there's a slang term for it that I'm not going to use on this show, but that's what they're doing. And it was, uh, and, and Messi is the, is the biggest star in the world. So the easiest one to do it with. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's part of the issue too. I think it's really is that, uh, and Apple's well, Ed, Eddie Q, who's one of the top people within Apple, he was the one that was talking a few months ago about uh, building characters, really kind of uh, building superstars, focusing a lot of the attention on, on individual players and and I mean, I mean the star appeal. Uh, and Messi certainly is a star appeal, right? Fantastic footballer. I mean, he can go on and on and on all the achievements he has, and he's wonderful to watch. But to me, at least, Kartik, it's just Major League Soccer and Apple seem very desperate. I mean, they seem really desperate to go ahead and try to get as many people to sign up as possible uh, for MLS Season Pass and really focusing it so much on Messi that they're losing sight of the bigger picture. The reality is, is that we know that MLS uh, Season Pass subscriptions, uh, they have to hit a minimum guarantee in terms of number of subscribers, uh, which is a closely uh, guarded secret about what that number is. But whatever that number is, once they hit that number, then from then then there on, they can generate a lot more money with the TV rights. As of right now, with a global deal, they're, they're getting $250 million a year. If they hit that magic subscriber number, whatever that is, then they make 50 cents on, on every dollar thereafter. So in order to hit that number, it's it's a huge deal. They have to hit that. Otherwise, in terms of the TV revenue, as each year goes by, that $250 million, which seems a lot today, nine years from now will seem minuscule uh, compared to what some of these other leagues are getting. So it's almost a desperation where MLS is focusing so much on Messi, you mean so much on trying to, you mean, use him as the linchpin to go ahead and get uh, more subscribers 
And the reality is too, I mean, here, there's different forces in play here. And let me just jump in for a minute and say, I have criticized Serie A and said Serie A cannot keep up with the amount of tele because they're not getting enough television revenue, right? And 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 this and there are other people who are now saying it. Not it's not just me. And they're Italian saying it. They're owners in Serie A saying it. Serie A's new media rights deal, the uh, the domestic portion of it, they will get about nine hundred million dollars a year. And I'm saying they can't keep up. Okay, and they have twenty teams. MLS is going to have thirty, and we're talking about two hundred and fifty million. So just do the math. Um, they right. they need to hit that subscriber number. Yeah, and Apple and MLS, obviously, I mean, MLS more so. A- Apple, I mean, Apple's invested the money, but it's MLS really that needs that money, that extra rights fees from Apple, even beyond that $250 million a year. So MLS is the one. I mean, Apple's got so much money. I mean, it doesn't have to worry about things, but MLS really needs to hit that number. So you, you've got Major League Soccer that really needs Messi to be playing in every game, featured prominently as much as much as possible to drive subscriptions uh apple of course would be interested in that too making sure that their product grows and you mean you get more people in the apple ecosystem so they buy phones and you mean apple tvs and all sorts of other apple equipment messi uh, uh as a player his goal this year is really to get to be fit i mean to do well with inter miami but his number one goal is really to win copa america again so he's going to be managing his time. He's going to be managing his fitness. He's going to make sure that he'll be ready for Copa America because the last thing he, he would possibly want is to be injured. At the same time, you've got Inter Miami, who is selling sponsorships, tickets, everything, shirts. They want Messi to go ahead and play as many games as possible too. So you've got these different forces kind of at, at each other with Messi in the middle and... I mean, the worst case scenario is Messi gets injured. He's out for two or three months because of an injury he picks up in a meaningless friendly. And at that point, if that happens, right, everything everything goes down, right? MLS season pass subscriptions could go down. Apple would be wouldn't get as much interest uh, in the league um, without Messi. Into Miami games, sure they'd sell out those games. Still, they've already sold out the stadiums. But they're not going to have as much people watching those games, and t-shirt sales, uh, shirt sales will go down. So everything really comes back to Messi and his fitness. So, so I can I can I can completely understand Messi as an individual, uh, or into Miami as a club, saying, you know, you know what, Messi, uh, if you're not feeling 100%, don't play that Hong Kong friendly. But what I have the issue with is Apple and Major League Soccer and into Miami promoting it like crazy that Messi's going to play and featuring him, him in all the advertising. And at the end of the day, it, it's a bait and switch, especially if Inter Miami knew that he wasn't going to, be, going to play. There's been a lot of uh, things happening with Major League Soccer that are not, not uh, the usual kind of um, way that they operate. Usually, for the most part, they're very slick, very organized. Um, everything runs smoothly. I mean, behind the scenes in terms of communications, things like that. But with, um, I mean, even going back to the game against Al Nasser, the uh, the game that was supposed to be Messi against Ronaldo, I mean, basically 30 minutes before kickoff, uh, Inter Miami announces the team lineups. Messi's not included on the starting lineup or on the bench. 
And then about 10 minutes before the game starts, then uh, a new graphic appears with Messi on the bench. So that that's one example. Even the uh, the J League game uh, this week, uh, MLS announced that as as a game that will be showed shown on MLS Season Pass. It had a press release about it, um, and then just a few days before the the game is uh, supposed to happen, uh, mysteriously the game is pulled and, and not listed on Apple's website and removed from MLS's website as far as the broadcast for that. So yes, there might be some last-minute changes, perhaps in terms of uh, the broadcaster, or uh, maybe the maybe the, the event organizers are asking for more more money. But it's very much unlike Major League Soccer to be making a lot of these uh, mistakes. And, and yeah, we saw the lineup that. thing is the lineup thing is not not uh, cool, right? That that's a that's a that that's a problem if if they're making mistakes like that uh, yeah. half an hour before the game having the wrong lineup now there's always the possibility someone uh oh but this is a friendly so everyone would be on the bench anyway there's no limit on uh right number yeah yeah so i that's just that's ridiculous that's sloppy yeah and we go back to the u.s open cup and that pr disaster and really kind of we, we talked at length about how major league soccer really mishandled everything about the decision that they reached in terms of um, saying that they were plan- planning on uh, abandoning the U.S. Open Cup and then um, and then the outrage from everyone in terms of uh, protesting about it and then the U-turn that was like, oh, well, well, we didn't really say that. What we mean is that we're uh, looking for future years, 2025, 2026, et cetera, uh, perhaps then changing things. But for 2024, uh, things will stay the same. Any any thoughts, Kartik, on, on why Major League Soccer seems to be kind of a little bit more uh, mistake-prone of late? This is a massive undertaking to bring Messi over into the league. So that has created a situation where I think even when Inter-Miami travels, uh, MLS clubs are not staffed appropriately uh, to, to handle this. And then you've got more people... Um, scrutinizing the league uh, because of Messi. So then you have these kind of PR faux pas. Now, um, in terms of the Open Cup, I, I just can't explain that because um, that that might be the case of having too many people that are now in groupthink that haven't worked uh, in the game for a very long time or haven't worked uh, specifically outside of MLS in the game uh, to have made that mistake and to have had to walk it back so quickly uh, was embarrassing. But this this pattern started a few years ago when the c- crew thing happened, when uh, Anthony Precourt announced that he wanted to move the crew to Austin, and um, there was an immediate backlash. The MLS handled it so poorly, and it was shocking at the time because one thing we thought about MLS for all their other limitations in terms of revenue, in terms of relevance, in terms of structure, they get... Uh, the marketing and PR side uh, perfectly because they're they're well staffed. They've hired uh, smart people. They have uh, very clear talking points and things they work off of. But then with that crew debacle, the talking points ended up making them look f- foolish, and they kept digging deeper and deeper. And I, I came out at one point and said, um, "Look, I, I thought that MLS." Uh, would cut their losses after about 10 days and say, you know what, pre-court, he's kind of a rogue. We're cutting him adrift. But because of our uh, agreement, uh, uh, owner-operator agreement, we can't stop him, but we're going to put another team in Columbus. Okay? I thought they would do that after 10 days. It took them almost a year to do that. So um, they seem to be less – they seem to be less – 
in tune than they used to be. And this is another important point. I think um, there have been a number of um, well-connected and uh, experienced staffers at Major League Soccer that left the building during the COVID period. There was a period where MLS, now the crew thing, does, that doesn't explain the crew thing because that was before that. But mm -hmm. during COVID, MLS um, released a lot of people or, or a lot of people left that had been um, working at the league office in New York and you saw a turnover in staff and those people dispersed themselves into other other places in the soccer uh, landscape. Uh, some were working in uh, um, in uh, USL, some were working in other leagues or with other clubs around the country. But um, then you brought in uh, maybe less seasoned people underneath the top rung of executives and the top rung of executives are still very highly uh, uh, highly competent, the Dan Courtmanches, the Nelson Rodriguez's, the Mark Abbott's, the Don Garber's. But you're not having kind of that natural uh, pushback, that natural interaction you might have in a room when um, Garber and, uh, and Courtmanch walk in and say, hey, um, guess what? Uh, our owners don't want to play in the U.S. Open Cup this year. Um, and uh, maybe the, there would have been uh, somebody in the room who would have said, hey, well, this is how we should frame it if that's the case. And right. maybe we should push back on our own owners. That didn't happen. And it became By a PR reason. disaster. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, there's so many moving parts now. I mean, so many teams like what, 29 teams, soon to be uh, 30 teams with uh, San Diego. Uh, the Messi thing, certainly that throws, uh, I mean, a huge wrench in terms of trying to plan things. And the TV side, I mean, in terms of just the amount of work that Major League Soccer and the amount of resources that are being put in, into uh, the relationship with Apple in terms of I mean, producing all of the content, working with IMG, doing all the things that in the past um, they wouldn't have had to worry about as much because you had Fox or Univision or ESPN doing a lot of that legwork. So I, I think from Major League Soccer's perspective, it's just there's a lot going on. I think MLS does a really good job of being proactive in their communications uh, and public relations when they you know, have an announcement to make and uh, they're the ones in control of all of the information. So whether it's Leagues Cup and you mean planning everything that goes into kind of an, making an announcement about something. I think um, both you and I, Kartik, you more so have uh, experience in public relations in 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 kind of a in our other worlds and I I do too not as much as you but in terms of communications public relations kind of that side of things I think major league soccer does not do as well in being reactive when something happens and responding to that and how do you respond to that with communications how do you respond to that in terms of um, I mean sharing your story we're in what uh, early February um, the U.S. Open Cup uh, announcements in terms of the, the PR disaster from that that happened what a couple of weeks well probably about middle of December yeah um you mean we're still waiting to hear the follow-up to that I mean in a way probably it's a good thing that Major League Soccer is not really talking about it because it's a lot of negativity uh kind of connected to it but um well shameless plug but the reason we haven't heard more about that is the stuff that i'm covering in the lower division level um at beyond the 90 that's the reason actually i think mls is, is roped in they're going to participate but um there's too many moving parts that hopefully will get settled this week to where 
next week, maybe we can have an announcement as to format clubs uh, when MLS clubs enter. And, and in fact, I think uh, we'll have the 10 MLS clubs participating in CONCACAF. Is it 10? 10, I think, in CONCACAF Champions League that okay. are um, that play in a later round. But that's actually not on MLS. I, I have to point that out. That is because of the situation with uh, with NISA, uh, situation with you know whether some teams go to USL, uh, et cetera. Okay, that's that's good to know. So, so yeah, hopefully we'll get some announcements about that next week. But um, but yeah, overall it just seems very unlike Major League Soccer to be making a lot of these PR mistakes and just really kind of um, in terms of the details. Even with Inter Miami, Inter Miami feels like a like a rogue cl- a club that's kind of doing things on their own and kind of just going kind of basically kind of uh, uh, making changes or doing things and apologizing later rather than kind of going step by step according to MLS's rule book. Um, but then again, too, I, I mean, Michelle Kaufman, who is the Miami Herald reporter, uh, who's the journalist uh, most closely connected to Inter Miami, uh, that, that's her beat. Uh, she, in a podcast last week, uh, said, quote, I know that the league, the team and everyone have to do whatever Messi says. Which tells you a lot right there. So I think a lot of it that that is that that is it, right? Messi says he's in the Hong Kong game. He knows that the contract requires that he's supposed to play forty five minutes or more. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if I mean behind the scenes he's like, I'm not going to play. And, and what do you do <laughs> as a club or a league or an Apple uh, broadcaster? How do you basically say to Messi, no, according to the contract, you have to play? And if he says, I'm not pl- going to play. Are you going to argue with him? Are you going to fight over over that with him? Um, so, so Messi's camp, the team Messi, has a lot of power, a lot of say, and I think that might be a component too. Where even down to El, El Nasser, right? Like ten minutes before the game, uh, they they released the, the team sheet that now has Messi's name on it uh, on on the bench. Um, maybe that's something from Team Messi where they're like, "Hey, he's not going to play." And then there's the discussion, there's the arguments, there's the the back and forth, and he says, "Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll play ten minutes." So it, it's gotten really, <laughs> really complicated in a way, Kartik. Um, I'm probably maybe one of the only ones, but to me, it's actually good soap opera. It's actually interesting. It's funny in many ways. Um, it's funny how badly run the club is and how many mistakes they're making. It makes them feel more human. Uh, less sterile. Uh, there's more things to talk about. Um, watching some of the games, uh, I've watched all the games from Inter Miami from the preseason. Uh, I was really impressed by by the Saudi teams. So uh, Al Hilal and Al Nasser, really, really well organized, well drilled teams. Uh, Al Hilal hadn't played together, I think, in a, in a month. Um, we're missing several players, as was Al Al Nasser, missing several players. Ronaldo, of course. But in terms of on the field, the organization, the players, how well drilled they were, they completely blew into Miami away in both of those games. Um, it's fun to watch. And that might be the thing for 2024 is that Inter Miami might end up being a really exciting team to watch for all the wrong reasons. Scoring lots of goals, lots of injuries, conceding more goals than than, uh, uh, than they score. Uh, to, mistakes, things happening, chaos. I mean, basically fans protesting because uh, Messi doesn't play. I think the soap opera is going to drag on and on and on throughout 2024. 
All right, Karthik, let's move on to the listener mailbag. We've got a bunch of great uh, feedback from our listeners. First up is Martin. Martin wants to talk to us about the Bundesliga. And Martin says, as a Bundesliga supporter, I feel it's the last bastion of football that has not sold out to sport-washing dictatorships, hedge funds, oligarchs, sheikhs, or American billionaires. Can they use this as a marketing tool as more and more fans are seeing the crazy money the Premier League and uh, two La Liga teams are throwing around? Something like the last league where teams are owned by fans or football for the fans, not billionaires. Yes, the league voted to accept an investment, but uh, it is being fought against by supporters and the actual teams are not being bought. I just think there is a backlash of disaffected football fans who are, who are tired of all clubs being turned into franchises and assets. Kartik, what do you think? Can they run with this? They've already tried it and it hasn't worked. I mean, I agree with all that rhetoric, and that's part of the reason I still um, uh, love the Bundesliga, is, is the purity of it. Although I do think at some time points they get uh they go overboard with it because when they uh, when uh, a lot of people associated with the bundesliga say an austrian very leading austrian uh energy drink company to 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 deride <laughs> leipzig uh it, that really bothers me like that that that's where you get into some degree of nativism even though austrians are, are basically germans so that's what makes it even stranger but um i i i think they've tried this and i i agree with this rhetoric and and i think the premier league uh, in particular, is bothering me more and more in terms of a league that's not in solidarity with uh, the rest of rest of football, not in solidarity with the rest of the clubs in their own country. Um, but I guess the market has voted already, unfortunately, and it, it prefers the Premier League approach and and uh, um, uh, the super clubs in in in, in uh, other leagues to uh, uh, to the Bundesliga. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I've come to the realization the Bundesliga is a very niche thing. Um, uh, to, to the point where I, I, I think, um, you know, someone like Javi Alonso, the Liverpool job happens to be open. And, and I think we have to guess he'll probably go right. The, the, mm-hmm. he, being a former Liverpool player, but I don't think you even think twice at this point about it. If you're him, because that's kind of where the Bundesliga is in terms of the, in terms of the, the bigger picture. And, and if, um, if the rumors about Tuchel and, 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 and Real Madrid are true, uh, same thing, right? I mean, I, I think the Bundesliga has become very much kind of a uh, an incubator for young talent and a place for coaches to hone their tactics and move on. Yeah, and, uh, and Martin and other listeners, so the, the Bundesliga ran a campaign a few years ago when they were with Fox. It was a global campaign, and it was called Football As It's Meant To Be. And it talked about the supporters, I mean, the, the fans, uh, the football on the pitch, I mean, all, all the positives about the Bundesliga and, and I completely agree with it too. It's football as, me- as it's meant to be. Um, but then I look at other examples too, and I look at now this this is up for arguments. But if you have say Android versus uh, iPhone, people can make the argument that Android phones are better, cheaper, uh, come out with a lot of the new features before the iPhone, and and at the end of the day, is a better phone than the iPhone. However, iPhone by far is more popular in the United States. And a lot of it is the marketing. A lot of it is kind of the, you I mean, kind of the group think in terms of Apple being a better phone. You can look it back into earlier in uh, beta versus uh, VHS. Beta from uh, from Sony, I think it was. It was a better quality uh, videotapes, I mean, higher quality, much better. 
than VHS. VHS uh, won out in the end. Uh, you know, kind of a slightly inferior pr- uh, product, but in terms of the marketing and other reasons why that became more popular. And I think it's the same thing with the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga on paper is the league that all of us should be watching, or at least be watching more of. Uh, high quality, well organized. I mean, um, the fans have a lot of say, passionate you know, crowds, great atmospheres, uh, great football culture, great football on the pitch. I mean, you can go down the list. It's really, really a fantastic league to watch. However, in terms of marketing, right, the Premier League uh, by far is much bigger and, and greater. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, fan loyalty. Is most of these most of our listeners, you mean myself included, contact you too? We have our fan. We have a clubs that we we've, we're we're kind of attached to. These are the clubs that have been our favorite clubs since probably. Ever be, uh, since we ever became soccer fans, and and with the Bundesliga, a lot of us don't have that yet. Uh, Serie A. Ritik wants to talk to us about Serie A. He says, "Hi, Chris and Kartik. Building on your discussions of Serie A's lack of visibility in the states, who do you think will be the next broadcaster? Should CBS Sports not renew their deal? I can't see NBC adding another soccer pro- property, and I don't think ESPN has the streaming bandwidth." or the money to bid for rights. Is Warner Brothers' discovery a potential favorite since the high-profile American players in Serie A can easily complement their U.S. men's national team coverage? Kartik, what's your analysis on that one? I think uh, Serie A, well, yeah, in theory, yes. But Serie A needs so much money to make up for the shortfall in domestic rights, which I talked about earlier in uh, the, the show, although that's still far greater than what MLS gets, as, as I mentioned, uh, that I, I don't think any of these broadcasters are going to pay that, given um, Serie A's lack of uh, um, success uh, in, in, uh, uh, in the U.S. market. So I, maybe they go back to CBS at a, at a lower price point, just out of desperation, or, or maybe it is Warner Discovery. Uh, but I don't think anyone's going to pay what Serie A feels they need out of the U.S. market. Yeah, I agree with you, Kartik, in terms of um, Serie A has to either accept what CBS is offering or um, the other option, I think, is um, ESPN. ESPN's got La Liga, has the Bundesliga, has a strong streaming package, has I mean, strong linear package. And uh, there's an opportunity there, I think, in many ways. I mean, if... Uh, ESPN did get Serie A, it would basically, other than the Premier League, be the home of the major European soccer leagues. Um, and ESPN is looking to go ahead in the near future, uh, is having a standalone ESPN app. And maybe that's part of it. Or maybe, maybe there's some kind of crossover there where they can include soccer on there also as kind of a, an ESPN app. I think there's a lot of possibilities there, but a lot of it comes back to Serie A and what they want. And unfortunately, the timing of this is probably the worst timing possible. I mean, I could argue that the the streaming bubble has burst, that um, a lot of the sports broadcasters or broadcasting companies uh, are cutting back. They're not spending as much on um, rights fees. And, um, you mean, as cable and television, you mean, subscribers drop, more and more is moving to streaming. And... Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons, too, that Paramount Plus is not putting in a major offer is because the numbers have to be right. They have to, they have to be right for CBS Sports and Paramount Plus. They don't want to pay over the odds 
and paid more than what Serie A actually is valued at. And, and then the valuation more so in terms of can they make a profit? I mean, how much is it going to cost them to be able to acquire the rights and increase the number of subscribers so that they can actually make a profit on, on the, the rights that they acquire? Uh, let's move, move on to Liga Mekis, uh, Mexican League. Pedro says, and this is in regards to why is there a drop-off in Liga Mekis uh, viewership? Pedro says, I'm a first-generation Mexican-American who used to watch Liga MX, uh, MX religiously. The decline in league viewership coincides with two things, a decline in the league's quality and the introduction of VIX Premium. The league is not as exciting as it used to be, and many of us are not willing to pay for a mediocre product. And we saw that a little bit too, Kartik, with, um, with ESPN Plus and La Liga. And what happened with that is that uh, all the games were exclusive to uh, ESPN Plus, both on Spanish and on English language. And ESPN tried for, what, a year and a half to get people... Spanish language uh, viewers to go ahead and subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch La Liga games. Now, within the last year, they've switched it. So now, if you want to watch it in English, it's exclusive to ESPN Plus. But if you want to watch uh, La Liga in Spanish, you can watch it on ESPN Plus if you want to, or you can watch every single game on ESPN Deportes. And to me, that's kind of uh, basically tells me that the Spanish language audience is not willing in the same numbers as English language to subscribe to streaming services. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, that's a telltale giveaway. By the way, I, I was pretty impressed that um, uh, this uh, Saturday during the uh, Miami-Virginia Tech basketball game, which was on regular ESPN, um, there were uh, advertisements both in the first half and the second half during commercial breaks for, um, for the uh, Madrid Derby. Uh, and uh, uh, the ESPN Deportes component as well as the ESPN Plus component. So I thought that that was interesting that they are now running full 30-second ads during basketball games to get uh, maybe – maybe and I think there's more crossover between basketball and soccer than there is between football and baseball and soccer. But I, I, I thought that was really uh, interesting to me. Now, I guess we're – uh, MLS fans will come back, Chris, because uh, I'm, I'm just anticipating maybe something will get in the mailbag next week after I say this. They will say, well, they never did this for MLS. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think they probably have done the market research and realized there's a crossover uh, between people watching ACC basketball and watching Real Madrid, right? Which there probably right. is not with Major League Soccer, unless it's Charlotte FC, right? Unless it's a specific team. So, um, but I, that was to me pretty interesting. That we saw full length uh, spots for La Liga uh, this weekend. Yeah, that's huge. Uh, just a few more thoughts about uh, Liga Mackies too from uh, our other listeners. Ken Vasquez says uh, Liga Max is two waters down. The players have gotten better from 15 to 20 years ago, but the product is too saturated with this in season and that preseason tournament. There was access to Premier League for Latino groups back in the day on Fox Sports Espanol. But nowhere near like today. Plus today, lots of Latin players, Latin American players, play in the Premier League in key positions, including Mexicans. Why wouldn't the Premier League take over Liga MX uh, viewership? XH says, "What about Telemundo? They've done a good, good job promoting the Premier League in Spanish as well. If NBC Universal was widely available on cable, like Tudo NA, then it's likely we will see even higher ratings in Spanish." 
And last but not least, uh, Portuguesa says, uh, good point, Kartik, about the generation changes <coughs> affecting uh, Mexican soccer. On a smaller level, being first generation, I had to choose between Sporting and Benfica. Now I made the correct choice with Sporting, but most of my second and third generation cousins follow teams like Manchester United because of Bruno Fernandes or Manchester City because of, uh, uh, because of Silva. So I think you are correct, Chris, about the Premier League swallowing up the other leagues. I can't believe I'm saying uh, this, but the Super League concept with La Liga, Serie A teams, along with PSG and other top French, Portuguese and Dutch teams would grow those clubs in the U.S. and put a dent into the Premier League popularity. And we've seen that, Kartik, just even this past week with uh, Juan Laporta from the Barcelona president. Uh, exposing the teams that that are in discussions about the European Super League, some of those teams came out pretty quickly and said, "No, no, 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 that's not true." Some of those teams included Feyenoord, who came back and said, "Like, no, that's not us. We're not. We're not interested." Uh, Ajax, a lot of the um, the team like Sporting uh, uh, Club de Portugal, uh, Sporting Lisbon, basically, and other clubs, uh, Porto, I think it was too in Portugal. Uh, PSG, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what do you think, Kartik? I mean, we we are at the point where the Premier League is the Super League. Um, should these other Euro- top European leagues, other than the Germ- Germany, because they wouldn't be interested, should these big clubs, including some of the teams in Serie A, AC Milan has been uh, mentioned, should they form a super club to try to fight against the Premier League? They might have no choice at this point, right? That's that's. Uh... That that that's the case. That's always been the case for the Premier League uh, for the Super League. Andre Agnelli, Andre Agnelli had laid it out. The former Juventus chairman that basically uh, the, the 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 gap between the Premier League and the rest of the continent, or the continent, I guess we should say, uh, has grown so so wide that the only way is to kind of pool all the top brands on the continent and create something very different. Uh, something in his words or in his mind, like the NBA uh, in the United States. So that's um, that that that's the reality. But that might be uh, great for 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 fans, right? That might be great for f- fans in other parts of the world and for the people who are involved with those big clubs. But what does it do to the rest of the game? What does it do to the communities those clubs are in? What does it do to the people who work at those other clubs? That's uh, this this uh, one of the organizing principles of this sport. I keep coming back to it is solidarity. And solidarity means Juventus should be having solidarity with the teams in Serie D, right? But that seems to have broken down. It's not just the Premier League and MLS that that behave badly with regards to the rest of the uh, clubs in their country. It seems like uh, everybody is doing that now. So I, I don't I, I don't see a clean solution. Yeah, it makes you wonder, like, what would have happened if the Premier League hadn't started? So back in the early 80s, mid 80s, um, English football, English soccer was probably at one of its low points in terms of everything from uh, attendances uh, hooliganism, I mean, just clubs, uh, really, really kind of many of them dirt poor, really having really, really uh, not much uh, revenue coming in. And then the top clubs in the uh, English league went ahead and said, okay, we're going to form a Premier League, something new in partnership with, with uh, B Sky B uh, to form a Premier League that's going to be, I mean, a much more serious competition with uh, all of the uh, the games televised or many of the games televised, actually. But what 
what would have happened if that hadn't happened, Kartik? Who do you think would be the the top league in the world uh, if the Premier League hadn't existed, and we still would have first division, second division uh, football, uh, etc. In England, I, I really don't know at the time, um, or at least immediately after the Premier League was formed. I think the case people would say that Serie A was the top league in the world. I think maybe because of the collective power of Real Madrid and Barcelona, and, and by the way, uh, the 90s, particularly the late 90s, were some rough times for those clubs uh, relative to competition even within La Liga. Um, I, I, and, and at the time, by the way, Serie A was, uh, had a lot more variety in its champions, right? You had Roma pop up. You had Lazio pop up. You had some uh, top coaches there, and, you, and they were attracting all the, the great players. But I think... Um, or so many of the great players. I think La Liga eventually would have emerged, but you would have had more parity between leagues, right? And and I do think um, once English teams got back into Europe, which which had been, remember, there had been the post-Hillsborough ban, I think ultimately you would have had um, uh, some of them re-emerge. Now, there's also the bottom line that we always forget about that the Bosman ruling happened in 1995. And once you had free movement of labor within the European Union, which the UK was part of until a few years ago, until Brexit, um, maybe there would have been a gravitation towards clubs in London anyway, because it's kind of the most cosmopolitan livable city Mm -hmm. uh, for all cultures. Um, And and I think that, you know, that contributes to the success of Madrid clubs as well. That contributed to the success of Milan clubs, because uh, those of you who are not familiar with Italian culture, Milan very much more kind of the commercial center um, uh, than Rome is. So um, I I think the Bosman ruling was a big part of this that people always forget about when they analyze what's happened since the 1990s. Yeah, good point. Very good point there. All right, let's move on to MLS season pass. Uh, R2Dad says uh, the Premier League may be on top, but these subscription package prices will crimp sub numbers across the board. Don Garber wants his cake and eat it too. And that is just not doable when disposable income is decreasing. Nobody is talking about how important it is to fill a stadium, atmosphere, etc. Because bean counters run Major League Soccer. Chris Guardino says, in my view, while MLS season pass sounds good on paper in terms of having every single game in one place, it has become apparent to me over the past year that this model is unsustainable long term in terms of growing MLS's popularity and, in fact, maybe contributing to a decline in existing fan support due to the price point of MLS season pass. UCLA 9700 says, feels like Major League Soccer and possibly the USL Championship should adopt the Liga Mekis calendar, considering they have partnered for League's Cup. Considering the dropping viewership numbers for Major League Soccer and Liga MX, it might be time to join forces before the Premier League popularity gets out of reach. Last but not least, uh, Andrew uh, wants to talk about NWSL and their new TV deal that was announced. Um, well, I actually didn't. The deal was announced a few months ago, but the, the schedule was announced um, a few weeks ago. Andrew says, as someone who's starting to get hooked on the NWSL, I'm happy with how the NWSL media rights turned out. All the games are easily accessible to me. Ion's involvement is great also. Thank God Ion has something other than crime dramas, uh, crime drama reruns on its slate. Seriously, crime dramas make up about 90% of their schedule on most days. Great that NWSL Plus is free of charge. 
don't we already pay enough is an all too common refrain of digital consumers. All in all, well done by the league. All right, listeners, thank you so much for all of your great feedback. Uh, if you do have any questions, comments, um, or want to uh, debate any of the things that we've talked about on this podcast, definitely get involved. There's a bunch of different ways you can get uh, involved, and uh, that includes the listener mailbag. Uh, you can go ahead and leave a voicemail at 561-247-4625. Email is web at worldsoccertalk.com. The website, worldsoccertalk.com. Click on podcasts. Uh, you can leave a comment in the most recent episode. Uh, Facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can leave us a message there. Uh, YouTube.com slash worldsoccertalk. You can go ahead and post a comment on the videos there, on the podcast videos there. And then last but not least, um, X, Twitter, is uh, at World Soccer Talk. Kartik, where can listeners uh, find you on social media? And also, where, what's going on with uh, Beyond the 90? Where can they find that? So Beyond the 90s at beyondthe90.substack.com and tons of news going on the last few weeks around uh around lower division soccer in the United States, NPSL, NISA, and then also the USL Super League on the women's side. Uh, lots of stuff, moving parts these last few weeks uh, that um, uh, uh, affect things like Open Cup and then also uh, will affect uh, potentially uh, what the U U.S. soccer decides to do with the sanctioning application for the USL Super League, which is, uh, uh, speaking of NWSL, supposed to be a, a D1 league existing alongside at the NWSL, and I understand uh, uh, that process is going very well. So, but there, that league's not going to start till August, and they're going to run on the European calendar, or the, we call it the international calendar, right? The traditional calendar. So, um, they still haven't been sanctioned for next season. So, that's also ongoing. And then you can find me at Twitter at KKFLA737. I would imagine that we're going to talk a little bit more about MLS Season Pass in future weeks too. I mean, one last thought on that, Kartik, is that the way that Major League Soccer has framed this season, so much of it is uh, dependent on Messi's uh, uh, fitness levels uh, and being injury-free. Hopefully he'll get back to uh, full fitness soon. But even the opening of MLS's season for 2024, they have the game scheduled on the Wednesday, basically first game of the season, uh, into Miami against Real Salt Lake. I mean, obviously everyone uh, expecting Messi to be playing in that game. And then the actually all the other teams then play that weekend, including uh, into Miami and then so on and so forth. So I think a lot of this really, they really have to take control of the situation. They really have to make sure that he is fit. He is not overworked. And I guess at the end of the day, doing this world tour, in hindsight, maybe it was not the best idea in terms of traveling, what, 24,000 miles all across the world uh, to play these really meaningless uh, games. Uh, even the game that was the last dance was supposed to be the Messi against Ronaldo. It was supposed to be a big, massive uh, driver of subscriptions for Apple and MLS Season Pass. Ronaldo I mean, doesn't play. Messi only comes on for the last 10 minutes. I mean, that really, I mean, <laughs> to me, is a disaster. But anyway... I'm sure we'll talk about that more in future episodes. All right, everyone, enjoy your football. <laughs>